Well, open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 3. Uh, if you're new here and I haven't had the privilege to meet you, my name's Ken DeLage. I serve as one of the pastors here. And we are in the middle of a series working through the book of Matthew together entitled A King Like No Other. Uh, and so welcome. Glad you're here. We're still just in chapter 3, so it's a great time to, uh, to jump in to uh, the study that we're, we're doing together on Sunday mornings. Well, we haven't really had to face it much yet this winter, but it's coming. It's, it's that time when you need extra time. But it always happens at a time when you don't have any time. I'm talking about frost on your windshield. You know what I'm talking about? It only happens on a busy morning. I don't know what, I don't know what it is. Like, it's never this leisurely morning, like you've got an extra five minutes, you know, whatever. It's always, you're running out to the car, you get in, you know, turn it on, put it in drive, look up. Oh, I can't see, you know. So what do you do? You look for like that little corner that's like not frosted, that you're going to try to, you know, but hopefully you've grown out of that. Hopefully you're not doing that. too. There's a reason the windshield's really big, okay, so that you can see out of it, right? So then, okay, there's no corner. So what do you do? You hit the spray, right? Which, if it's just barely frozen, it's going to work. And if it's not, it's just going to make everything worse, right? So then you've got to stop, let the car warm up, get out and do all the scraping, right? Because we've come to realize that, that, a, that a vision problem is kind of a driving problem when it comes to, to being behind the wheel. But we, we come to a, a people in Matthew chapter 3 who have a vision problem. They have, if you will, a, a, a kind of frosted windshield. Jesus was about to begin his public ministry. He was about to be introduced to the Jewish world, and they weren't ready. They weren't ready to see him. They, they, their, their vision was, was cloudy or even frosted, if you will, and they were going to miss him Entirely, The Son of God was on the scene, and God's people were going to miss him. And God knew about this. He, he knew that this was a problem. And so he sent someone ahead of Jesus to get the people ready. And his name is John the Baptist. And that's who we're going to be listening to today in the, the sermons that he gave. As I, as I get started, uh, sound team, there's a loud buzzing up here that might involve needing to turn off a monitor. And if so, you can... Feel free to interrupt. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look to John the Baptist. That's what's going on in Matthew chapter 3. Um, and we need to pay attention to John. Listen, if, if you're here today and, and you don't know the Lord, if you've not uh, repented and turned to him, John is given in the scriptures to prepare people for Jesus. Uh, and, so, and so I hope you listen to what his message is this morning. And if, if you do know the Lord, um, if, if, you, if you do see him, you know, it, it is so easy as a believer for our vision of Christ to get a little foggy, for it to get a little blurry, for our windshield of our mind to kind of frost over and, and to miss him. And so, so may God use the humble servant, John, yet again to serve God's people, to open our eyes afresh to Jesus. That's my prayer this morning. Let's read now from Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read the first uh, Twelve verses together. So Matthew 3, this is God's word, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, 
the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. God's word. So what a role God had given to this man, John, to prepare the way for Jesus. God had personally chosen and raised up John the Baptist. Verse 3 that we read makes that clear. He's the fulfillment of a prophecy from Isaiah, where Isaiah prophesied saying that someone would come crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so John had this mission from God to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare the way for Jesus, really to prepare the people for Jesus so that they could see him and not miss him. So how did he do that? How did he prepare the way of the Lord? Well, the passage that we just read has a series of comparisons in it. And so we're going to we're going to walk through these comparisons together. And the first comparison is is two ways. Two ways. John presents two ways to those that he is preaching to. Let's read again verse 2. This is a summary of John's uh, preaching ministry. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is this is the summary of his message and his message was one of repentance. So so he lays out there are two ways to people. You can either continue in the way you're going, continue down the, the path of sin, or you can turn around and repent and turn to the Lord. You, you have two ways that you can walk and continue in your rebellion or you can turn to God. And see, friends, repentance is what prepares the heart to see Jesus rightly. That's what John is preaching, right? He was sent to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare people to be able to see Jesus. And, and, and what is it that will prepare you to see Jesus? It is repentance. It is, it is acknowledging that the way we've walked is sinful and wrong. And, and then turning humbly and turning to God and away from our sin, away from our way. So his, his message says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. So when, when he's saying that, he's, he's telling them, listen, the day is coming 
when the kingdom of God fills this entire world, when his kingdom comes in full, that day is coming, so get ready now. See, John preaches a message of urgency. Repentance is a limited time offer. The, the call to repentance will not always go out. It went out from him. It goes out still today. But it will not always go out because the kingdom of heaven is coming. Friend, there's an urgency to the gospel message. Repent because time is limited. Okay, so a series of comparisons. The first two ways. The second now, two examples. Two examples. So even as he pr- proposed and preached on two different ways, we now see two different groups that come and they respond in these two different ways. So the the first group is in verses 5 and 6. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So here's a group that comes out, apparently a large group, coming from the the cities and towns all around, coming out to the Jordan, the wilderness area where John is preaching, and and he's, he's baptizing them as they are confessing their sins. They come... They hear the call to repent and they say, yep, that's me. Now, I I need to, I have things I need to repent of. You're right. I'm not right with God. I need to turn to God. And so turn they do and John baptizes them. John is a prophet of God. As John baptizes them, it's a powerful thing because what he's saying in that picture is that, yeah, in, in light of your confession, we're going, to, we're going to do this as a symbolic gesture that you are made clean before God. What a, what a powerful thing that is to, to, be, to be baptized and to, be, to have that declared over you. Yes, your sins are washed away and you are clean. So notice what this first group is doing. They come confessing their sins. The confession is part of repentance. It's a necessary part of repentance. Because repentance is always turning from something to God. Well, what's the thing you're turning from? You've got to admit that. You've got to look it in the eye. You've got to declare what that is before God. And they were doing it before John, too. They were speaking it out loud. Here's what I've done. Here's what I'm turning from. May God forgive me of of this and this. And Christian confession is is a sorrowful thing. It's, it's, it's because of this that I have shame. It's because of this that, that I am ashamed. This is, this is not the cause of my boasting. This is the cause of my humiliation of, of, of who I am and of, of what I've done. They, they come with, with genuine confession, confessing their sins. So that, that's the first group. We said there's two groups though, right? Second group we're introduced to in verses 7 and 8. Let's Look at that. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So here's a group that's coming, apparently asking to be baptized, and John is having none of it. No, not going to baptize you. In fact, he doesn't mince words. Brood of vipers. That is 
Those are rough words. Sons of serpents. Who warned you to do this? Would you flee from the wrath of God? I'm not going to make you think you fleed from God's wrath by baptizing you. Because that's not going to do it. Baptism won't save you. I'm not going to let you think you have got away from God's wrath because you have the appearance of repentance. Because the appearance of repentance will not save you. Who warned you to flee from the wrath of God? Would you flee from the wrath of God? Then you must truly repent. That's what you must truly do. And he points them to bearing the fruit of repentance. Bearing the fruit of repentance. Well, that idea he's going to flesh out as he kind of continues his little sermon to them. And it's in our next comparison. So he said, you know, two different ways, two different examples. And now he gives an analogy of two different trees. This is in verse 10. Verse 10. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There are two kinds of trees. The kind of tree that bears fruit and the kind of tree that does not bear fruit. We want to consider this analogy carefully. This analogy that John is giving tells us much of what it means to be a Christian. Defines the difference between believer and unbeliever talks about the nature of conversion, the nature of of being brought to life by God through the power of the Holy Spirit in this one simple picture of two different trees. So let's notice first the tree that does not bear fruit. I tell you that is a dead tree. The tree that does not bear fruit is a dead tree. Now, you've got to understand John's analogy, right? He's he's talking about fruit trees, not pine trees, right? Pine trees don't bear fruit. And they're alive. I know, but that's not what John is talking about, right? He's talking about a kind of a tree that should be bearing fruit, but isn't. And the tree that should be bearing fruit and is not bearing fruit is not bearing fruit because it's it's a dead tree. Dead trees don't bear fruit. Dead trees can't bear fruit. They are incapable of it. Dead trees just take up unnecessary space in the garden, which is why... John declares that the axe is already laid to the root of the tree. Those trees will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. That word fire is used three times in the next three verses. And every time it's used to speak of the wrath of God against sin. The judgment of God which is coming. The judgment of God which is coming, we're going to see here in a second, maybe surprisingly, at the hand of Jesus. He's the one who's coming with God's judgment. He's the one holding the axe, sitting at the root of the tree. And this is one of the most urgent calls to repentance in all the Bible. And I want you to feel the urgency of it this morning. This is an urgent call for repentance. When it says, even now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree, it does not mean, and this is what I thought at first, kind of an axe leaning up against the tree. You know what I'm talking about? Now, if that were the picture, I think any tree in its right mind would be a little nervous. You know? If there's an axe leaning up against the root of the tree, that's nervous. And that's not what this is saying. The picture is of far more imminent destruction. To lay the axe to the root of the tree is to pick up the axe 
and put it against the root of the tree with a kind of measuring stroke. Not to harm it, but to set right what the first chopping stroke is going to do. The axe is laid to the root of the tree and the felling stroke is being measured and is about to land. There is an urgency to repentance. There is an urgency to turning to God. Friend, have you turned from your sin? Have you turned from your own ways? Have you forsaken your own wisdom and trying to put your own life together independently from God? Do you bear the fruit of sin in your life, the fruit of selfishness in your life, or as John calls it, the fruit of repentance in your life? This is a matter of eternal consequence and immediate concern. Because even now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. How long will the axe wielder stay there suspended? How long will he measure that next stroke? How long till the axe swings back and the power stroke begins? Another way to say this, how many breaths do you have remaining? How many more sunrises will you see and sunsets will you enjoy? How many more New Year's celebrations will you partake in. Friend, do not assume upon the mercy of God when you've given him no cause for mercy. As none of us have. Get right with God. Get right with him today. Get right with him this morning. Get right with him right now. Do not assume upon tomorrow. The axe is in his hand. How do you get right with God? Listen to John. That's how you get right with God. Repent of your sin. Turn from your own way. Ask God to forgive you. Confess your sin. All right? That's part of the real thing. Confess. Find a, find a believer that you can tell what you're turning from. Caregiver, leader, pastor. I'll gladly stick around. Find someone you can confess to. Pray together to God. All right, let's go back. There were two kinds of trees. We talked about one, dead trees and living trees. Dead trees don't bear fruit. Living trees do bear fruit. Why? Why do living trees bear fruit? Because they're alive, right? Because sap is flowing through their veins. Is it veins? What does sap flow through? We'll say veins, all right? Sap is flowing through their veins. And so life courses through them and fruit comes out of them. Now, take note. Think, think about this. Analogy. Fruit does not make a tree alive. Right? You can't take an apple and go nail it to a dead apple tree and declare that the apple tree must be alive or that that somehow made the tree alive. That's not how it works ever. Fruit does not make trees alive. Still a dead tree. So fruit never brought a tree to life, but fruit does show that there's life in the tree. Right? That's how this works. So the point, if you're in Christ, then spiritual life flows through your veins. His power is at work within you, and that will produce a changed life. That will produce a changing life, a repenting life, a growing life, a fruit-bearing life. So the comparisons, two, tree, two, two ways, two examples, two trees. 
Next comparison, two baptisms. Two baptisms, verse 11. John speaking, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit and fire. So John finally gets to Jesus. He who's coming after me is mightier than I. He begins to, to point people to Jesus. Up to now, it's just been repentance. But now he says Jesus is coming, and in his hand are two baptisms. He's got two baptisms that he's going to bring, and the first is with the Holy Spirit. Some will be baptized by Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Surely this is a greater baptism than John's. John could immerse his followers in water. Jesus immerses his followers in God. That's a baptism. He immerses them in the person and the power and the presence of God, of the third person of the Trinity. This is a, this is a baptism for the purpose of purifying, cleansing the believer because it's a baptism in the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit produces holiness in the believer. It's, it's an empowering baptism because it's the very power of God that we're baptized into. So, so it enables the believer to begin to walk in holiness, to begin to, to love God with heart and soul and mind and strength, to begin to love neighbor as self. It, it enables all those things. It, you, know what, you know what holiness produced in the heart of the believer is called? It's called fruit. This is the tree's secret. Not that any tree, dead tree, can all of a sudden start making fruit. None of us could. But rather that Jesus makes dead trees alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. Puts his own power within us and fruit begins to happen because of the power of God within the believer. Friends, he baptizes every one of his followers in the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit is for every believer. He baptizes every believer in the Spirit, and he totally baptizes every believer in the Spirit, right? You ever seen a baptism where they baptize somebody, but like the top of their head didn't get baptized? You know what I'm talking about? Like they didn't quite go far enough, so they got to like do it a second, oftentimes they'll do it a second time to make sure, you know what I mean? You don't, no, listen, when Jesus baptized you in the Holy Spirit, he didn't like leave your head out, Right? He baptizes his people in the Holy Spirit of God so that we are coated in and submerged under the personal presence and power of the living God. Praise God for that. And there, there's a call in here. There's a, there's a call to us as believers to be bearing fruit. A call repeated throughout this passage in the parable of the trees that we just saw. And now in this baptism with the Spirit, we'd be about doing what the Holy Spirit was was sent to enable us to do, bear fruit. We'll come back to that in a minute. Because we see there are two baptisms, right, in the hands of Jesus. Baptism in the Spirit or baptism in fire. 
This comes right after the previous verse where the trees are being thrown in the fire. And the next verse where the chaff is being thrown in the fire. Same fire, all three times. The judgment of God. And it's a judgment of God in the hand of Jesus. His first coming, we get this vision of Jesus as as the merciful Savior who, who put off his divinity so that he could save his people. Glory to God, because he is the Lamb. But friend, he is also the Lion who will come to judge this world and brings the entirety of the justice and judgment of God in his hand to baptize in fire. Another call to repentance. It is Jesus who wields the axe we saw before, who holds the axe at the root of the tree and judges the eternal destinies of mankind. This leads us to John's final two. Two ways, two examples, two trees, two baptisms, and now finally, two outcomes. Two outcomes in verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unbelievable fire. So here we see Jesus the farmer. He's doing the work that a farmer does after the harvest. The harvest has been brought in. It's been laid on what they call the threshing floor. So the wheat is all there and, and all parts of the wheat are there, both the useful grain part of the wheat and also the chaff that was around that grain is still attached to it and it is useless. It's all mixed in. And so the farmer begins the process of winnowing. Now, we're less familiar with this on many levels because if I were to ask for a show of hands as to how many are farmers, there would not be many hands that would come up in the room. And even if you were, you don't do this because you have a machine that does this for you, right? Like, there's, you know, these big combine type things that, that, that do all of this work. But back then, they bring all this uh, wheat in and, and they'd get this kind of fork or shovel and they'd, they'd scoop up the grain and throw it into the air and the heavy grain falls straight back down, but the chaff kind of gets loosened up and blows off to the side. And so there's, there's a separating process as they throw this up in the air over and over again. It's the winnowing process. So like any farmer, Jesus will gather the grain of the wheat into his barn and he will burn the chaff. But Jesus is not like any farmer. Because he's not sorting grain. He's sorting you and me. He's sorting mankind. The winnowing fork is in his hand. And he sorts all people. For those who have repented, for those who have turned to Jesus, those are the grain. Oh, friend, and if, if that is you, then it is your privilege, glorious privilege, to be gathered by the Savior himself into his eternal barn. What a picture that is. What a glorious picture that is. As he personally gathers us. But those who have not repented are the chaff that he will burn with fire. And in this time, the third time it uses the word fire, the word of God is unsatisfied to use the word fire and adds a word prior to that word to bring additional emphasis to it. 
as it says, unquenchable fire. That is a fearful word. Unquenchable fire. It adds another note of urgency to the call. Perhaps you've decided to ignore God over and over again and his call to you to repent. So let me ask you, can you quench the fire of God? Can you go toe-to-toe with the Almighty? Can you lay his hand? On that day, will you find judgment with him? Will you find a problem with how he's run his world? Listen, if there's one thing this picture shows, it is that the farmer judges the grain, not the other way around. The trees are not judging the axemen. He is judging his trees. And he is bringing justice. When the judge of all the earth comes, when you stand before the judge of all the earth, he will do right and you will not stay his hand. He will do right. So for the last time today, I invite you to repent and turn to him. This is that get the frost off the windshield moment. Because until you've repented, all you can see is Jesus, the judge, the bringer of judgment. When you repent, you see him also as the bringer of mercy. Eyes can see him for who he is. Believer, I think this passage leaves us with with two simple applications. We get ready to go. Two clear calls that we can apply And I think they're particularly good the first Sunday of the year, coming through the new year. I was going on a walk this morning. Uh, I walked past a newspaper on the ground, you know, a big, bold headline. New year, new you, right? Right? I mean, what's not appealing about that? New year, new you. So So overdone. You want a new you, turn to Jesus. He's the giver of a new you. But as we look ahead at this year, we want to be fruit-bearing believers. What does it look like to do this? And the first is repentance. And the Christian life begins with repentance and continues in repentance. We never outgrow our need for this on this side of glory. right? Never outgrow our need for repentance. You're, you're caught, you may have scraped the windshield. You didn't. But you may have scraped the windshield of your car yesterday. Is it still good this morning? You may have repented yesterday. How's your heart with God right now? How's your heart with Him this morning? How's your heart tomorrow morning? Friend, let, let's endeavor by the grace of God to walk in repentance this year. To walk humbly before our God. To be, to be quick to get to our knees. And to not be those that He's got to hound us for five days about the same thing before we finally say, okay, fine, I'm sorry but are quick to turn, quick to repent. So the first is repentance. The second is bearing fruit. And to this we're called. We're called to bear fruit to the glory of God. On some level, bearing is, is just another word for discipleship. Just another word for following Jesus. Uh, becoming more like him. So what, is, what, is that, what does fruit bearing look like? Looks like loving those around us. Like loving 
God, our heart, our soul, and our mind, and our strength. Looks like depending on Him daily, increasing in our passion for Him, increasing in our communion with Him, in our walk with Him. It means hating our sin, hating the way that we used to be and are still tempted to be. But this is the work of the Holy Spirit as God presses us into the image of Christ. So let me encourage you in 2020, rather than you know, making all these big plans, Make a plan to depend upon the Holy Spirit that you've been baptized into. Make a plan to call out to Him afresh each day. Yes, we were baptized into the Spirit, and we all were, but the Scripture also tells us to be continually filled with the Spirit. So let's be filled again today, and then again tomorrow, and then again the next day, because each of those days, we're going to need Him. We're going to need His help. And glory to God, Jesus came so that we could have access to that help every single day. Let's be, let's be about giving glory to Christ by, by bearing fruit. You see, you see how the picture works, right? It's his life in us. It's his power at work through us. It's his fruit being produced in our lives, and so it's his glory for what happens. May he receive glory as we... Mercy Hill, become more like Christ this year, bearing fruit for him. Let's pray. Father, if there's anyone here this morning, and you know, if there's anyone here this morning that has never turned to you, I, I pray that you would not let off pursuing them until they turn to you. A very uncomfortable place to be, being pursued by God. I pray that you would not let off until they've turned to you and sought your mercy. Lord, if there's anyone here, I I pray that even now you would give them the gift of repentance, the freedom and the the boldness to confess their sin and turn to you. Lord, for those of us here that are seeking to follow you, you, would you give us fresh grace this year to do so, to walk in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, to walk in 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 repentance, turning away from us and turning to you over and over again. Would you be glorified, Lord, as we do this, we pray. Jesus, amen.